The scripture reading this evening is from Ephesians 4. We will read verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. I've been asking you to do a little thought experiment uh, this summer, and we've been asking what would it look like for us to serve our community as an urban monastery. And we've got a little definition of that we've been using. An urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And I've just been introducing you to different ways God has used urban monasteries to bless cities. Tonight I've got an example um, that's a little different. Uh, If we could have the next slide. It comes from right before uh, World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran uh, pastor. He was studying at Union Theological Seminary in, uh, in New York and actually uh, had gotten very involved in an African-American uh, church there. And he um, had decided that he was not going to go back to Germany because it was right before uh, everything was breaking loose. But the Lord met him in a very powerful way. It's uh, told in his biography, and uh, he decided he would go back knowing almost certainly that he would lose his life, which he did. Um, He began uh, a seminary at Finkenwald, which was an estate. It wasn't urban, but his goal was to try, in the time he had left, to prepare uh, pastors to go back into the cities under Nazi Germany and sustain the confessing church, because the rest of the church had kind of been co-opted by the state at this point. Uh, and he built it on a monastic uh, model. They would have morning and evening prayer. They would study. They would work in the yards. They had spiritual direction. He wrote a book uh, right after called Life Together. And that came out of his lectures on community at Finkenwall. Um, he wrote this. Uh, I think this is in Life Together. He says, we've been responding to his call. And one, he's talking about his life at Finkenwald. And wondering what a new monastic movement might look like in our city. <laughs> Actually, those are my notes in my sermon. Let me go up a paragraph. And I thought, really? Did he, God, it sounds just like me. <laughs> okay, let's back up. Um, yeah, Bonhoeffer didn't write like that. Um, the restoration of the church will surely come from a sort of new monasticism, which has in common with the old only the uncompromising attitude of a life lived according to the Sermon on the Mount and the following of Christ, I believe it's now time to call people to this. Well, this summer we've been looking at the two parts of the definition, and one part, of course, was the hospitality aspect. And uh, now we're looking at this idea of being a school 
for the Lord's service. And the faculty of the school are these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that we're, we're going to spend a week looking at each gift. But I wanted to take just a moment before we dive into that again to, to remind us who the most important person in this passage is, and it's the saints. These five gifts, these five roles, are given, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, so this isn't a passage that focuses so much on these five. You remember the New Testament talks in several places about all the different gifts that we have in the body of Christ. These are just a handful of them, not very many of them all. But these five gifts are like faculty in a school that come along and equip us and help us live out our ministry in the world. And, and, and I want you to see, if you have time to go back and read this passage again this week, how much the, the, the Apostle Paul emphasizes growing in the Lord. He talks about growing into mature uh, manhood or humanhood, the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children, that we grow up in every way into the head, that we grow as we speak the truth together in love. So this is really a passage about how God's people grow. That's really the focus of it, and I hope that's the result of us tonight. And you might even just step back, just, just kind of ask yourself, um, am I growing? Just looking back at the tra- trajectory of my life over the past year or so, not am I perfect, not have I arrived, not have I, you know, not that, but am I growing? You might even ask the places where you're doing community, you know, the small group you're in or wherever you are, the people that you're walking with, whatever it looks like. The, the point of it is that we grow, we come closer to who God wants us to be. So every once in a while, it's probably worth asking, well, am I? Am I growing? Well, that's what the goal of all of this is. Um, And I think a good question that you could ask at this this point then is, well, Doug, if if, if these are just five gifts and they're a small part of the body of Christ, which they are, I doubt they're more than 10% of the room, what am I supposed to do the next um, five weeks? And let me suggest the three reasons why I think this is very important, even if, if these are not your personal gifts. One is, um, we discern our gifts and calling in community. You know, one of the reasons this series is kind of hard is that some of the, the terminology is kind of creepy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an apostle. You know, a long time ago, there was a movie uh, called The Apostle, where this kind of crazy figure went out and appointed himself an apostle and baptized himself and went around declaring himself an apostle. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> The only way you would know, I think, fully that you have some of these gifts is that the people around you would affirm you and say, you know, I kind of see this emerging in you. So one of the reasons that it's important to kind of sit with this is we need each other in the body, and this may not be you, but somebody you care about might be heading in this trajectory, so you want to uh, learn what it looks like so you can help them meet their, become what they're supposed to be. The second you actually may be called to one of these roles in the body and not know it. Um, Matter of fact, I think that often is the way God's calling is, is you don't realize it, uh, and then others say, hey, I see this in you. So you may be thinking, well, well, this is a snoozer, I'm none of these gifts. Well, not so fast. Um, You might be. And then last, 
You need the ministry of these people in your life to discern your own calling and grow into the person that God wants you to be. Uh, Apostles are kingdom entrepreneurs. We'll look at that tonight. You may be a person who has a vision for something. You want to start something, but you can't get it off the dime, and you're wondering what's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. You just are trying to do it by yourself, and you need someone with this apostolic gifting. Prophets align people with God's will. You need people in your life that will... We'll do that. Evangelists have a passion to share the gospel in fresh and creative ways. If you don't have those people in your life, your faith can become inward and dull. Pastors care for our souls. They heal our wounds and send us back into the world. God knows we need those. Teachers help us understand and apply God's scripture to the challenges of our lives. So we need them as, as well. Um, let me just give one, one illustration of how this might work. Let's suppose you're an artist and you love uh, artists of whatever stripe, Christians, non-Christians, secular, rational, you just love the arts and artists, and you want to reach them. But, but your gifts are in art, and your gifts aren't in leadership and starting things. What possibly could you do to minister to uh, the artists that you have a heart for? I'd say grab two other artists and start praying, and pray that God sends you an apostle, somebody who's good at starting stuff, Pray that God will send you a prophet, somebody who can kind of align you with God's will. Pray that God will send you an evangelist who's wired to figure out what it looks like to share the gospel with an artist. Pray that God would send a pastor who can shepherd your community. And pray that God would send a teacher who would be able to come in and share a biblical vision of the beauty of the kingdom. So we kind of need all of these gifts working together to be mature. So tonight we're going to look at that first of the gifts he gave apostles, and just a simple definition, um, we're just going to say that an apostle is a kingdom entrepreneur. Now, where do we get that? Well, the Greek word for apostle, apostello, means one who is sent. It was used by kings who would send out ambassadors on ships to new lands to establish their kingdom in the new land. Uh, In the Gospels, and in uh, most of the book of Acts, there are what we might call capital A apostles, uh, apostles that were the 12 who were with Jesus Christ and Paul. And so most of the references to uh, apostle in the New Testament are to the 12, the, the men who laid the foundation of the church. Uh, Mark 3.14, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So they become the church's first missionaries. They, uh, they start the church in Jerusalem. Acts 2.42, the first thing you see after 3,000 convert. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And then by chapter 8, you see the apostles leaving Jerusalem and going and and breaking into new ground and establishing churches. Um, Acts 8, verse 5, Philip goes down to Samaria, preaches the gospel. Acts 9 and 10, Peter is called uh, in a dream to work in Caesarea. And of course, the rest of Acts is about the apostle Paul and all of his church planning work. And so apostles are missionaries. uh, they're, They're church planners. They establish kingdom work. Ephesians 2 says that The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so that's a key role of the apostle is that they lay foundations. 
They uh, set culture into place. They put the boundaries down that everything else is, is built on. And that's very important work. I don't know if you've been around town for a while. When they were building this place, they were also remodeling Tomato Head. And uh, they are investing a lot of money in it. And what they didn't realize is that in the old days when they built that building, they did not put foundation stones in it the way that they do today. And one afternoon, while people were having dinner at Tomato Head, that entire wall collapsed <laughs> and just fell down because they, don't, they didn't do foundations at that time the same that w- way that we do now. So laying foundations is very important in physical and spiritual building. Now, two other features of uh, a New Testament of a capital A apostle. There's a convening function. Acts 15, uh, the Gentiles start to come to Christ. Big controversy in the early church. Uh, the Jewish leaders wanted to know, do we need to make the Gentiles keep the, Moses, the law of Moses and be circumcised? So the apostles convene a conference from all the believers, leaders of the church, and they come together to work on that question. So uh, one of the things these these uh, apostles do is they convene the body of Christ. They call people together and people come. There's also a discerning function. One of the things that happens is uh, the, the disciples or the apostles come together and try to discern God's will about this issue facing the church, about how the Gentiles are to be incorporated into the body. And they even say in Acts 6-4, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, if we look at the capital A apostles, what we have are kingdom entrepreneurs, we have church planning missionaries, we have people that lay the foundations of the faith, uh, and they have a convening function and a discerning function. Now, the New Testament also talks about small a apostles. Uh, these people were not in the original 12 but they serve a similar function. They break new ground for the kingdom. Acts 14, Barnabas is called an apostle. He's not one of the twelve. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Silvanus and Timothy are called apostles. They're not one of the twelve. Philippians 2, Epaphroditus is called an apostle. 2 Corinthians 8, he talks to nameless brothers as apostles. Romans 16, 7, Andronicus and Junia, who could have been a woman, are called apostles. And so there are no more capital A apostles, but Christ continues to give small a apostles to the church to build it up. And these people are kingdom entrepreneurs that build new ground or break new ground for the kingdom. They start stuff in innovative ways. They have authority to convene God's people, to call them together. They have a capacity for discerning where God wants the church to go next, where the next inbreaking of the kingdom will be. Now, what might this look like today? Um, I'll give three examples, and whenever you do this, uh, you know, it's a little risky uh, because we don't know for sure, but I want to I point out three areas where I think I've seen apostolic work. I think there are probably many more going on. The first would be with uh, Lawrence Tullock and Bruce Charles in the Change Center. And if you're not here, you know a little of this history, but I think it was three years ago, that uh, there were a series of murders and gang shootings uh, of young African-American men, all within a three-mile radius of Daryl Arnold's church, overcoming 
Believer's Church. And uh, Daryl, I think, is, is a profound evangelist. He began to reach out to the gang members. He called them into his, into his church. Uh, he had a wonderful relationship with the mayor, still does. And uh, this vision came of how do we provide a safe place for older African Americans in this neighborhood um, before they, they hit adulthood uh, so that they're not all out you know, hurting each other, things like that. <laughs> And so Daryl turned to Bruce Charles and to Lawrence Tullock and said, I got a vision here, we've, we've got some connections here, but I need some people that know how to start things. And that's what they've been doing for a, a couple of years, and it's about ready to open. Uh, do we have a date? Of, do we know yet? Soon. Okay, we'll go with soon. Very soon. Soon and very soon. Right, Okay. So I, I think Lawrence and Bruce function in an apostolic manner. Second example, Gary Peacock. Gary, you'll, we're going to interview him just in, in a minute here. Gary has had a heart for uh, prayer on the campus. As long as I've known him, he started coming down to campus in 1999. Uh, students started to, to come and say, we need a place to pray 24-7. At the time, there were 32 uh, ministries on the campus. They were not cooperating very well. Gary said the day the first prayer meeting he went to, a fight broke out. Um, there was a lot of competition. And then in the year 2008, uh, they had an idea, and uh, Gary sent out a little call for every college pastor to meet together every week and pray for a year. And miraculously, during that time, the Lord provided a house that is now called the Campus House of Prayer that's behind the Panera over on uh, Cumberland. And uh, Gary, you, don't, you probably don't know this about Gary because he doesn't talk about it very much, but this is just something he quietly has favor to do is convene Christian leaders on campus in a, in a miraculous way. The third one uh, example, and you probably can think of more, I, I, would, I would put Trevetta Johnson in this category. Uh, many of you know her. She's the chairman of our board this year. She is supported by a tremendously gifted uh, husband with a gift of service that is unlike any I have ever, ever seen. And um, they moved into Park Ridge, really had a vision for providing a gathering place for artists and also reaching out to the neighborhood. And they started something in their garage called the Share House. And they had art exhibits and concerts and artist gatherings. And it was just marvelous. Um, they had to let it go. It got kind of overwhelming. Some life intruded. But I was talking with her this week, and she said they're kind of uh, thinking about bringing it back. And one of the things that she's talking about is uh, the, the only way, really, that it could be sustained is if she had some help. And, and so what is, she, what is she saying? She may have the apostolic gift that got it going, but now there need to be other gifts that come along and help it, uh, help it thrive. So... You might be an apostle if you kind of have an entrepreneurial approach to your faith. You're just that person that is often seeing new things that that could happen. You have a track record of starting kingdom projects that bear fruit after you've handed leadership over to someone else. You have a high tolerance for risk and see it as an opportunity for faith. People naturally respond when you call them together to discern God's will. 
and you have an ability to see opportunities for new kingdom work. It's something that you and God talk about a lot. Now, apostles get into trouble when they are isolated from the body of Christ, get frustrated when others don't see what they see, because usually they see it first, don't get other gifts around them, don't hand off the leadership role at the appropriate time, that's an important one, or are self-appointed and not affirmed by the body. That gets you into trouble. So how I want to end tonight is uh, Taryn's going to come up and interview Gary, just, just real quickly, and a young man that Gary has been equipping, because that's the purpose of these gifts. So come on up, and there's a mic there and a mic right here. One of the things we're hoping to do uh, is provide some tangible examples uh, of what this can look like in action and hopefully demystify these functions a little bit um, because we kind of tend to get into a lot of, there's a lot of cultural baggage around the terminology, I think. Um, and so we're not trying to put anybody on a pedestal, but this is really to say, hey, here's some examples of how people can come alongside and help serve and launch you in the ministry that you have. Um, and, uh, and a source of anxiety, I think, that a lot of people have around that is we start to start thinking about these big letters. Uh, we start thinking about them like capital A or capital P or anything like that, and we think in terms of hierarchy. But uh, uh, there's evidence in Scripture that this, is act- this should actually happen sequentially to come alongside you, right? So the, where it says, first of all, he, he gave us first of all apostles and prophets, etc. That first of all is actually, that word means first in sequence, not first in place. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, Gary, you know, at, at, a lot of you probably know him and his wonderful wife, Rhonda, um, and if you don't, make sure you get to know them. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, so for the last 18 years, I've seen him seeding kingdom culture and breaking new ground and, and convening people and, uh, in, 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 in a way that really aligns to the kingdom of heaven. Um, and Jacob is a, a student at Carson Newman and has been doing some pretty fantastic things over there and in our city as well. Um, and they've agreed to try to help give some, some examples here. So, um, Gary, as, as one who often uh, builds up the body by convening, connecting its parts, creating kingdom culture, laying foundations, um, can you give us a quick example or two that you've seen uh, in the areas that you've been working on, on what the, how that kind of plays out? Sure. Um, well, I've, I've always felt that uh, when you when you look at scripture and you really see the way that God works and does his kingdom work in, in a very natural way in our city or in any space um, it, it really is about convening it really is about bringing people together we're not created to do anything apart or alone uh, community is really the basic DNA of the whole kingdom of God so any any usually when there's when there's when the kingdom of God's not being advanced in a culture is because there's not a homogenous community of faith that's really working together. So um, in, in my particular case, it became the campus. Um, just being a campus pastor, trying to find out what was going on, particularly at the University of Tennessee, and then finding out there was a lot of competition and people who really just didn't like each other and uh, thinking about how, how, how is this going to advance the kingdom when we're, we're not even reconciled to one another? How do you reconcile to the world? So... Uh, yeah, so just just beginning that process and calling people together and uh, saying, hey, let's just kind of covenant to work together and, and see where God takes us. 
and that's kind of what's happened now over 10 years of doing that together consistently. We've, it's just a whole, it's, it's introduced a different type of culture. Yeah. Cool. Great. And uh, Jacob, um, you know, especially, I know a little while back you got to doing this deal in the city called Awaken the City, and, um, and I know that's about the time you hooked up with Gary. Can you tell me a little bit about how him coming along at, th- at that stage in kind of breaking ground, how that kind of helped equip you and, and what you're um, It about. was absolutely, I don't even have the words to say, it was absolutely necessary that um, I got to meet Gary because um, I just had, God just birthed this vision in my heart um, to see um, citywide events all across um, East Tennessee, um, whether it was in stadium gatherings or whatnot. And I'd had some people that were close to him in my life like, I, I really don't think that's the will of God. I really don't think that that's it. And um, one day I just so happened to meet Gary down the basement of the chop. <laughs> and he prayed over me and was like, man, I see the call of God that's on your life. And I see that I need to come in and support you. And he just opened up um, his life, his time and everything to me to see that um, I could get across the finish line of what God was asking me to do. Um, and so I, I have no idea where I would be without Gary and Rhonda. They have um, they're such great friends because I think the thing about the apostle is the relationship. Everything flows out of relationship. Um, and so with his help, I was able to see about 13 events across the city of Knoxville and various different communities. But it was a lot of because of the support and the wisdom and the friendship that he gave me. So. Well, we'll hear a little bit next week uh, on the next gift and start to look at, too, I think a little bit how this can progress from, from you know, if you're in one, at one stage, you know, the apostle can come in and help you move forward and help your community to move forward in that new ground, and then the prophet can come along next in sequence to say, okay, now that you're moving, we'll get into that next week. So. Yeah.